Welcome to Studio Visits with SilverEye, where I get to talk in depth with some of the most interesting contemporary photographers working today about their latest projects. I'm David Oresik, the Executive Director of SilverEye Center for Photography. SilverEye works to promote the power of contemporary photography as a fine art medium by creating original exhibitions, unique educational programming like this series, and through the lab at SilverEye, a space for artists to learn, create, and connect. You can visit us online at silvereye.org to learn more about our programs, find a fun and helpful glossary for these conversations, and there you can also support us by making a donation, buying a book, or a limited edition print from many of our past exhibiting artists. If you're listening to this as a podcast, I encourage you to check out our website or our YouTube channel where you can find a slideshow that will have a lot of the work that we discuss in this conversation. This week was a lot of fun for me. I got to speak with one of my oldest friends, Dan Boardman. Dan and I were undergraduates together at the Rochester Institute of Technology, and he later went to graduate school at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. His work has covered a lot of ground over the years, from an early documentary-inspired practice to making some of the most formally innovative photo books that I've ever seen, to the jaw-droppingly intricate in-camera photo collages that we discuss in this conversation. Currently, he resides just outside of Syracuse, New York, and is the lab manager of Lightwork. As a quick aside, if you're not familiar with Lightwork, you need to check them out. It's an outstanding organization that hosts residencies, puts on exhibitions, and publishes a great magazine called Contact Sheet. I love talking to Dan because he really opened up about a gradual evolution in this series in ways that are technical, conceptual, and just, to me, very human. We talked about the pleasures of I Spy books, the seven habits of highly effective people, and why he's driven to keep adding new layers of complexity to his practice. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Dan Boardman, welcome to Studio Visits with SilverEye. Um, my pleasure, pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You began making these kind of uh, what I'll call in-camera collages, unless you have a, a better... This is, an, this is an outrage. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a fairly good term for it, I think. Uh, I haven't heard anything better, so that'll work. Um, well, so obviously it's it's a process that doesn't have a an obvious word for to just to describe it, um, where you're layering a number of images on top of one another uh, in camera. Can you you know walk us through in the in the simplest layman's terms you can how exactly you're you're creating these images? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so they're done with a series of masks that I cut out, or you, you might just call them stencils. That might be a better word for it. It's probably easiest just to look at some of these really early ones because they're very simple in terms of the technique. I pulled three that are really the first three I ever made. Um, one that just says test, it's upside <laughs> down. <laughs> I didn't realize that the like, you know, I'm doing these in a four by five camera, so everything is backwards and upside down. So it's like it, when I when I made the drawing and, and made the mask, I I also have to sort of keep that in mind when I'm making the images that the mass also have to be turned in a specific way. But at any rate, if you look at those, there's one here that um, it says test. Uh, what's going on there is that I've made a piece of paper, a black piece of paper, and the size of a sheet of film. And on that piece of paper, I've cut out each letter, um, T, E, S, and T. 
And when I did that, the paper was on top of a piece of acetate that was covered in tape. And when I cut out the letters, it etched into the tape. And then I just remove the tape, like the, the rest of the tape. So I end up on, a, um, on the acetate, I have the word test written out. And then I have on a piece of paper, the negative of, of tests. So it's like a positive and a negative. And right. then using multiple exposure, those two things line up next to each other when you make one exposure and then the next exposure. So they're not really overlapping. That right. is, you're, um, you're essentially making one exposure in the positive space and another exposure in the negative space of the stencil. Is that yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's more, it's like kind of closer to a stained glass window. You know, if you think about it that way, it's like, there's not really a whole lot of overlap. I mean, there is when I make big mistakes, <laughs> which I make <laughs> a lot of, but uh, they really should line up pretty close to each other. So that sounds difficult and uh, <laughs> laborious. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> you you've got to be right. You've got to put the film in and then take it out and take off the you know basically switch to the negative space exposure. How, right. How on earth did you come up with this process? It kind of came out of a lot of a lot of experimentation and um, sort of like a long road to this place. So before I was making pictures like these, I made a lot more straightforward formal photographs, portraits, and lots of other things. But I've always had these sort of impulse to make more graphic or complicated images. I just didn't really know how to do that. So I just, I put a picture um, by Walter Wick of this like maze. It's, it's like mirrors and these like little animals. And um, Walter Wick, it, it, you may know him from the I Spy series. That's what he's the <laughs> photographer who made all the I Spy books. And really thinking about it, I think he had a really profound effect on me. Um, I was always amazed to look at these things as a kid. And they really invite you to look at them for a sustained amount of time. I mean, I probably spent longer looking at those pictures and studying them than any other picture ever, right? I mean, they invite that. And so I loved, I just, I think that subconsciously, I just kind of loved that thing, loved that idea of making these sort of dense, dense and layered um, images that the longer you look at them, the more you find. I also included a picture of my mom's Santa Claus collection, <laughs> um, which I like took a picture of in, in college. <clears throat> I think that that also had sort of a subconscious influence on my work. Um, because she would make these really intense arrangements of things. I mean, in this case, Santa Clauses, and it's kind of, you know, almost grotesque to look at. <laughs> it's just like, so, it's so manic. It's just so much, yeah. it's, it's too much. You cannot absorb everything that's there. Then she gets a lot of pleasure out of making these like arrangements that are supposed to be kind of beautiful, but they are, I don't know what they're supposed to be, but they're just insane. And she has the collections like this for like any holiday and Christmas, especially she'll go kind of to the extreme. So I think that that has had a real influence on my work, you know, in this sort of in the back, you know, in the back burner kind of 
always looking to organize space in this really complex way. Mm -hmm. And um, really, I was at, it was after graduate school, kind of had hit a dead end with what I was doing or just feeling really, I think a lot of people feel this way after grad school, just kind of like, I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I had a little studio space and I just started experimenting in there. And um, one of my friends who is a painter, his name is Sean Downey. I was looking at his paintings and just feeling very envious that he could just put anything he wanted anywhere. Any piece of anything could be in his paintings and it just could completely come whole cloth from his imagination. Of course, that's not really how it works, but that's the way it feels when you're looking at it and feeling jealous of that. Mm -hmm. And so I started to just start to think about like, what if I really intentionally and deliberately did something in my picture that felt like as intentional as making a mark in a painting? And that, you know, that kind of impulse like led me down this road of like, okay, I have to like put something directly on top or directly into the picture. Um, it, it first sort of started as uh, like carving or like, like basically ruining negatives. Like I was like cutting into them or like using like a thumbtack. <laughs> I try to like put something directly on top of it. And I mean, they're cut, I mean, they, they, they firmly fall into that aesthetic, right? They mm -hmm. fit. And I've included one here that's just like, a seed pod or something and I just like carved it on there and not I was never they were kind of interesting but I was never really satisfied with how that looked mm -hmm. and I did a lot of experimenting mm -hmm. trying different ways to manipulate the negative or different ways to alter it in some way and then looking at um Ed Ruscha kind of led me to the next step um looking at his paintings with the text over the mountains and thinking like okay well how would I do that like how would I besides just going into photoshop and putting in a text layer like you know what strikes me about the process and, and one thing that I really love about it is how like purely photographic it is in in a way and, and the thing like the only thing making a mark on the negative is light was it important to you that it have a kind of photographic purity in the final process? Maybe now that you say that, yeah, maybe it was. I never really thought about it in those terms. It's certainly not in terms of purity. That seems a little <laughs> intense. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, kind of purity, uh, purity in the, the kind of modernist, you know, sense, right? The, the, the like a, a photograph mm -hmm. will, will use the tools of photography and a painting will use the, you know, we use paint. Like, right. You know, it, it yeah. strikes me as, um, right. Cause like, why not just do this, um, somewhat by some easier means? Why not paint? Why not Photoshop? Why not? Right. You know, th th there is a, there is a kind of a very complicated technical process that you've arrived at that has really probably dis really distinct yeah. properties. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably true in some ways. I, I would, from my point of view of making them, like with these first few that I made, I very there. So like these were made in a slightly different format because they were using a roll film back on a camera 
So like basically I was making a dark slide that would go in and out of the roll film back. But at any rate, so mm -hmm. I, I bring that up because it was these three or four images along with like the rest of a normal roll of film, just of like things, photographs I made in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And getting that film back and seeing the negative and seeing what this looked like on the negative was so exciting and so different and felt so new to me that I was like, I just knew I had to kind of chase this and see where it went. I guess one thing I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, for these early works and, and even as you continue, right, you are at this kind of old storied tradition of just the double exposure is a part of a part of this process. Um, how how did you begin thinking about the two exposures? And I know I think since then it's become more than two exposures, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But how do you think about the kind of photos you're taking? You know, that, that are like what are you pointing your camera at? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a great question. So that and that's also sort of evolved with the process and evolved with the complexity. Um, you know, from that sort of initial surprise of well, what is this thing? Immediately I start unpacking like okay, well, what are the two pictures and how do they juxt, what is the juxtaposition of those things? Or, But I um, hesitate to say there's any sort of specific triangulation of meaning inside of that. And especially with these early, early ones, it was just really visceral reaction mm -hmm. and a lot of just like, okay, well, if I try this, let's see how that works. Or if I try that, like some of these early ones here, you can see like, the um the x right it like just becomes sort of like it's just a graphic shape like it's just like for like it's almost like canceling the picture behind it somehow mm -hmm. and and i i found that graphic part i really really was compelled like hey that's something i drew and like look at it here like laid on top of this picture even though like it's not it's nothing as a drawing it's just mm -hmm. like an x um and then i, I sort of i started like okay, maybe I have to use that language and see what I can do with that shape. So like, if you go a couple images down, there's like a black and white picture of a house that has a bunch of X's over it. And this almost started to like, I think it was sort of a crossroads of like with what you're saying of like, well, how did you decide what the pictures are? So like, here's this like condemned house with these X's in the windows. And then here's my drawing with a bunch of X's on it. and. I've got the house and then I got close to one of the windows and I photographed one of the windows to sort of populate the X's. Was John DeVola's abandoned house kind of oh, spray yeah. paint things important for you for, for these ones? Because I've always really yeah. connected with these with those. And yeah, um, yeah. And I suppose in a way that the way that I love, which is just like, here is a space and here is like my mark on that space. And it's just sort of such a, primal mark making gesture like the kind of just i am here gesture yeah absolutely those are hugely influential to me um those that vandalism series and the zuma series and you know he talks about the vandalism ones of like looking at art forum and looking at pictures of sculptures and art forum and it's like is it the picture or is it the sculpture that's interesting here or like how do i how do i sort of like live inside that territory but the thing i always loved about his those pictures is like the return like he goes back to the space and like other people have added things and he adds more 
and yeah the and and that thing that you're saying about the like i made this mark here it is like in the world it exists it's it is like sort of a primal gesture i don't know yeah um, well you know i mean and the the other mark re reference that i've always thought about with, with these ones especially these early ones are the matisse cuttings and you know right. the just the 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 beauty of like cut paper or you know the the way that a, the a, a blade or a scissor or whatever against paper is is really seductive um and and just kind of reveling in that reveling in that yeah and it's no mistake that you know that show there's a giant show that at moma right around the same time i started making these <laughs> yeah hugely influential but and he calls like those like paper you know they're expedients it's mm -hmm. like way to quickly see what a painting might look like and then the, the slowly sort of takes over his practice and towards the end of his um end of his life whereas i kind of feel like i'm on the other side of that like i needed to see that to like begin my real pursuit in some ways but yeah oh my mm. gosh such a huge influence i mean they're, they're incredible to look at well you're you're kind of um, purely abstract mark making phase didn't last forever in this work. You began to to populate some different kinds of content right. um, into the cuttings and into the into the process. Right. Uh, can you walk us through that. How did you think about that, and what did you what did you end up putting into these pictures? Yes. So yeah, uh, you know, from the very beginning, you know, of like making making an X, like it really was that John Devola thing of like, here I am. I'm I've made this. But then like soon after you, you become kind of responsible for, or I knew I, that the shapes are going to have to mean more than just abstraction or like I, I was searching for that or wanting that very desperately. I, I, I really was just drawn to use like what was going on in my life and not to think too hard about like what was or was not worthy of including in these things. So this kind of gets off on a tangent, but I would like the, the one I think really sort of starts this is there's this picture that says define your energy, which is like, you know, kind of like this like empty new agey thing to say. And it comes from a, uh, a book, the seven habits of highly effective people. And I was photographing this guy in Somerville, Massachusetts, who was kind of like a seven habits evangelist. Like <laughs> I come into his shop to photograph something like he had something in the window and I, I really for, liked it. For, um, for people who may not be familiar, how would oh. you, uh, <laughs> how would you describe that book? It's a, it's a, you know, a self-help book that sort of, um, uh, quantifies like the things you can do in your life to make yourself effective and it's all sort of written um, with a business perspective like as if like you know you're a capitalist um, or you're you're a businessman and you you want to achieve and do well you know follow these habits of other people who have done that um, but I couldn't I also like so I was going and photographing this guy and I really and he had these weekly meetings and I would go to them um, you, you, you at first sort of strictly just to photograph them because he was so interesting and the people he kind of brought into his, his life were so interesting. And I wasn't very satisfied with the pictures I was taking. 
but I was also sort of on the side sort of starting this these these images and I thought like I just need to be I need to just use what I'm 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 learning here or being provoked by and just bring them into this practice and just sort of hope for the best and trust that like showing this guy talking to a room full of people isn't the only way to like show what's going on in there. And so like that's what sort of spurred on these early sort of like you said leaving just pure abstraction. So it's like okay I'm just going to use this experience with this guy and like see where it goes. And so that's like this like define your energy comes from that like it's like one of the tenets of <laughs> I don't know, one of the seven pillars. You know, it's funny too, because like years and years later after making these pieces, um, I was at uh, my parents' house and found a copy of The Seven Habits, like a super dog-eared, super bookmarked copy that was my dad's. <laughs> so it was like, this has been around, like this, you know, has been in part of me for a while, you know, without me knowing it. That's so funny. As your compositions got more complex, I know hand drawing the designs beforehand became a, a big part of the process. How did bringing drawing into your practice change you? I think it was, it's pretty profound. I mean, I, I didn't realize like the um, pleasure and the like absolute terror and pain of doing that. <laughs> like to have to like really make a decision about the way something is gonna look the sort of like how these sh shapes or ideas interact with each other just in the drawing. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that, you know, that was sort of just like the primal urge is become sort of the bread and butter of the work for me. And the photography part of it is there and is interesting still to me, um, but is become a little bit more filling in the blanks, painting by numbers. And then as you as you continue to kind of up the ante, I think yeah. um, as I've as I've followed your work pretty closely over the past couple of years, you've brought in the grid and these kind of multiple extended panels. Um, what why uh, tell us about why you 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 added this like another kind of exponential level of complexity into these compositions? Well, I really just was not satisfied with the canvas size. Like I was not happy with eight by 10 was not a big enough drawing for me. And I really um, wanted to draw on the human scale or, or bigger scale. I wanted to like make a drawing. I had to pan my head around to look at the whole thing. So that like the sort of sensation of the composition is like, there's a totality to like looking back at it. But then there's this other thing where you like invited closer and, you know, because there's so many details in the picture because of, you know, because photography is so good at details that people want to get close to them. So I figured like the, the, the drawings have to kind of warrant that too. Like you need to get, be able to get close to them to do it. So like each panel here is a four by five negative. And the way it's like all kind of laid out as a giant drawing. And then like, you know, I systematically make all the masks there in, inside of that. What is the, and what is the text on this one? This text is the, so if you open the seven habits, um, it starts out with about 20 pages of reviews for the seven habits. 
<laughs> so this is just the beginning of the reviews. It's like, I just wrote it and that's why it's called reviews. So I thought it would be kind of funny to like take reviews for this, like admittedly kind of funny book to me and then like put them on this like scroll like they're so important. I don't know. I don't know. I just thought that that kind of juxtaposition was kind of funny. I always th I like sort of appreciated when um, text and artwork like is uh, it just can sort of highlight, if, especially if it's coming from the real world. Like it not not to not necessarily making a comment on if it's good or bad, but just like letting you focus on the words next to each other and sort of meditate on them. I mean, it's it's just such an innate like poetry and, and mystery and, and, you know, and, and I think it functions very much the same way a lot of the imagery does in these images where you, you know, you're kind of playing with context a lot, putting things next to each other that don't necessarily belong next to each other. There's a lot of rhythm, I think, is, is really important, like a visual rhythm, but also uh, in the in the language as well. You're, you're, you know, one thing I, I love about the work is, is how it's always, I mean, you're never satisfied. I think whatever, whatever you're doing, you're going to, to question and do the opposite of mm -hmm. fairly soon, I think is a safe, a safe prediction. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about this, this enormous uh, multi-panel gridded black and white piece? I think this is a really good example of, of just how complicated you can get with these compositions. I was more sort of I've been more focused on what the like overall sensation of the piece might be and more interested in communicating the drawing to you than just the sort of jumble of the photographs or or I I had a sort of sense of clarity about like okay I get how to make these now like I the not that the experimentation mm -hmm. is never really over but that sort of like time of pure experimentation I seem to have like got, I got it. Like, let's see, like this one here, which is by far the most complicated one I've ever made. It's made out of 70 different uh, negatives. And it was a huge drawing. And this was right before my son was born and right mm -hmm. after it took, it took a long time to make it. And um, I was like really thinking about like, parts and pieces on a table, like pieces of somebody, pieces of a body, pieces of sh like shapes and like how they could come together to make somebody and they have all this kind of potential to be anything. So it's kind of a mess really. It's, be <laughs> <laughs> it's better at like larger scale, but like uh, just like there is like concrete things, there's like hands and there's like a penis and there's a face and there's, you know, some other things that you can like sort of recognize as bodily and then there's other things that are form but they're abstract and that they could potentially be molded or changed or fit into somebody in any way so like i had this idea like i wanted to make this table of parts and i wanted to show you that thing and that was kind of more important to me than like that that just became very important that i'd be able to like communicate that piece of it like there was this idea before that went into the drawing, which is just a funny thing to say. Like you would think like, oh, all artwork should like start with an idea like that, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Right. It certainly doesn't always work <clears throat> that way for me. I'm very intuitive in terms of my photography. You know, for so long bookmaking 
was such a big part of your artistic practice. Right. Yeah. That's do sort of like, do, do you still have the itch or, or is it? Has, I really, it... no, I mean, this kind of came in and just like swept everything else away. Like I thought that it would be part and parcel, but there's something about like, this does the thing of juxtaposing images. Like it does the thing that I think I was after with bookmaking um, where it's like complicating multiple pictures together, like putting them in, in, it doesn't do that sort of narrative sequencing or push pull of like sequencing or putting something in a codex, but there's almost just like that, like tap for whatever reason, just like stopped. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, maybe it'll come back. I mean, it's all, it's like a dormant thing, but I don't know. Well, yeah. One thing I, w I was thinking about with these and bookmaking um, was the, I mean, one, there's just literally the multiple exposures, right? What is a book, but a bunch of exposures in a sequence. Right. Uh, and here you've taken the kind of linear time of a book where, you know, you start at the beginning and you move towards the end. Mm -hmm. And here all your exposures are literally on top of each other. It's a kind of like a, a stew of time instead of a nice line of time. Um, right. And I, I began to think about the, the ways that the ways that time is, is being portrayed in, in the two mediums. Um, you know, in a neat little string or all on top of each other. That's interesting to put it that way. Yeah. I mean, dur duration is like, like sort of a funny background element in these that I never really highlight. Like I never am all that interested in making it something that you look for, but like they take, they take a long time. I mean, they take a lot, they take months to, to you know to draw and then cut out the masks and then they can take months to accumulate all the exposures so there's just this like latent image that's slowly building up exposures for a long time um, which I, I think like i i think i got permission to do that through sharon harper who hmm. i worked with at harvard and she just i was her teaching assistant for a year and I mean, that's, I mean, her practice or, you know, with their, with a lot of her work with the four by fives, this is like going out repeatedly and collecting on a single negative. Mm -hmm. And I think that like idea unlocked so much for me, mm -hmm. never really like made it like the centerpiece of my work, but I think I like, yeah, I definitely took that from her. Like that's her, <laughs> something I, <laughs> I, I know for sure. I just lifted from her. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and a, you know, a great person to lift from. If you, yeah, you know, yeah, just, absolutely. You know, a brilliant artist. Yeah. Um, tell me about the discus thrower. Yeah, so this, this one is interesting. Like this one, this is like, in terms of like time from beginning to end, this piece took me the longest to make. It took almost a year and a half to make this piece with some, with some large downtime in there, buying and refurbishing a house and moving and all, all sorts of stuff. So that, that being said, it just was with me for a long time. It was kind of like around, around in my studio, around like kind of bothering me and being a pest. This piece to me is sort of like, a, a, it's about like two different spaces, like the space of the studio and then the space of like the real world. And I, I wanted to make this man, this sort of like, 
uh, day glow, um, stained glass, ideal form, ideal body man who like, you know, I, I wanted to make sort of the representation of like what it feels like when you're in the studio and you're making things. And like at this point in my life, it was such a refuge to have like be able to put on my headphones and be away from my life for a little bit and be working on my artwork. And it, it was something that was very grounding. And I wanted to like highlight that experience, what that's like. So everything on the end, so like there's like this kind of like blue, these blue shapes in the background. And then on the left, there's like a out of focus area back there. And this is not, nobody would never know this. You know, I don't know, I don't know what anybody gets out of this, but like to me, it was like the delineation of these two spaces, like a constructed world where like everything is made by you and you're the author and you're the kind of like god <laughs> of this area and like uh for better or worse and then there's like an outside world that like is there but it can be like sort of like retreated from so maybe this piece is like about escapism or something like that you know and i, I think there's more to it than that too but that was the sort of central principle behind wanting to make this thing I mean, yeah. it's it's really interesting to think about the work from that perspective of kind of world building. And I think in, in so many ways, so many of these pieces become a little world unto themselves. And, right. and, and they, you know, they, they have a tone and they have, you know, they, they have this common visual vocabulary that you've, you've taken from, from, from one piece to the next. And, you know, even those early X's are still, are still here in a lot of ways, but yeah. Um, but the world, I think has become so much more fantastical. Uh, yeah, especially but... this one is like really like upping the ante on that. Like it's it's science fiction. Like it really or it ha like is in that language somehow. And it's yeah, got yeah. it's got humor to it. I mean, it's got a. Yeah. I mean, it's like how. I mean, you know, and I mean this in the best possible way. How ridiculous to do a huge you know larger than life skill drawing of the discus thrower you know like i know i know it's <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense and then like yeah then like there's like this like moon i made out of you know out of clay and like all these like this one was like full of all sorts of weird things it's got i mean it's just got such a a celebratory note too you know like the you know, I, I mean, to, to think about the, the the human form being this kind of, you know, absurd day glow man, but also thinking about that as a celebration of life in the studio, I think is really, yeah. you know, really important. I mean, of course, I have a soft spot in my heart for art about the spaces we make art in, but yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, I think that's at its best. That's what this is to me. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I never think these things are all that locked down. This piece is fair. I mean, it's not new, but it feels pretty fresh to me still. So I tend to know more about them in time, like, you know, after I've sort of digested it and also like moved on, like if I move on with my practice or it changes, then I can sort of look back at this and, and see it for the anxiety it had in, in its making or like what I, who I was at the time when I was making it. There's this piece, this newest piece here, um, kind of, I we took that same principle, went the other way. You know, this is like a fly that I drew <laughs> and wanted it to be 
you know, big, bigger than an actual fly, but smaller in comparison to the other pieces. And yeah, this is also like one of the only ones in recent history where it's like really not a very complex drawing. Like it is just an object on a background. Like mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not this sort of like densely layered background with things going in and out of each other and, you know, illusion of space being really interrupted. It's just like, here is the thing and here, you know, here it is in one of my pieces. And with something like this, like I just had this like, I don't know why, but I was like, I want to make something kind of like earthly, like mm. something that was like, what says like being on earth more than like a little, like a fly. Like, I don't know why, but it's just like that. It's in my head. Like this is like this. It's funny because I, I think when you, you know, saying the term earthly, it makes me think of the, the previous one, the discus man as like a really celestial body. Like, yeah, yes, yes, yes. So yeah, this is definitely like in response to that. Like what is kind is, of like, what know. is it actually, what's it actually like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. The, you know, the lowly, the lowly fly. Um, right. Like who you really are. You're like this like hideous fly creature. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is a funny note to end on. I do have another piece I'm working on now, but it's going to be a while before what, that's done. What's the uh, what's the subject? Is it another one with a with a uh, uh, defined subject? Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's I yeah I, I, I hesitate to even explain what it is. I'm just yeah coming soon. Coming maybe by the end of the year. Dan Boardman, thank you so much for sharing this work with us. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>